Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 11 of 211's Baseball Talk. My name is Dylan Baker, alongside Chris Baker, who is back this week. Here is what we have on the menu for uh, here's what we have on the menu for you today. Sorry, not a lot, but it's quality, not quantity. Will the Phillies actually be better off without Bryce Harper or Manny Machado? Trichelowitzki claims he signed with the Yankees to play with the best players. Are Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s stat predictions for his first big league season accurate? Where are Dallas Keuchel and Craig Kimbrell headed? Yasmani Grandal signed a one-year $18 million deal with the Brewers. We'll tell you why that's relevant in a little bit. And as always, we'll finish the episode off with everything else that has gone on in the past week during the hot stove season. season. So, Chris, how are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. And uh, was it you who had your phone on that dinged? I don't believe it was. Must have been you. And I don't think the listeners heard it because I didn't. Oh, okay. Well, I was pushing blame on you. But, uh, yeah, well, you, sound, you, know, you sound incredibly no news there. I uh, thank you. I know I do. I've been sick for the past couple of days. If I sound a little bit rusty to anybody listening... That would be why I will still attempt to be at my best, though. The show must go on. <laughs> sure, sure, sure does, yes. To begin the episode, we discuss one of the biggest topics of the last week in baseball. A pretty uneventful week, but it's still one of the bigger topics. Will the Phillies, a team that has been in on all the biggest free agents, actually be better off without the star players in Bryce Harper and Manny Machado? Because I've seen in a couple places, including LB Network, that the Phillies would actually be a lot better without the superstars. My opinion, Harper is bench for Philly. But I mean, what are your thoughts on the recent story? Because I know that there have been a lot of mixed reactions. So I wanted to see what you think about the idea that neither of them are, or neither of them should go to Philly. Well, I think Philly's building a good thing uh, without them. I think they're very close. Do I think they could jump over? But they need that piece to. Push them over the edge. Well, that's what I'm saying. Do I think that they could jump over Atlanta? I don't know. I mean, to me, I feel like maybe Atlanta could possibly take a step back this year, and Philly doesn't necessarily need one of these superstars um, to overtake Atlanta. Yeah, but they're not going to get them next year. The superstars are locked in for 10 years. But who's to say that some of their superstars or potential superstars aren't going to come up and make that kind of an impact? Maybe not the same as a Harper or Machado, obviously. Well, Machado will walk to first base, but but Harper, <laughs> you know, I mean, Harper makes an impact whether you like him or not. And the, and the reality is, yeah, nobody's going to make the impact that Harper is. But at the same time, you know, maybe they've got enough pieces right now that they can potentially overtake Atlanta this season if Atlanta takes a step back, which I feel like a sophomore slump might be in the offing for them. And then, you know, after that, a couple more years of development under their belts, maybe Philly doesn't really need a superstar like this. And But, I mean, I haven't looked at their farm system, and I should probably do that with more teams because every week I have the same excuse. Um, but I don't know that Philadelphia has that many prospects that are coming up that are really good because – I mean, the only one I've known that's been tremendous that's come up is Reese Hoskins. Jorge Alfaro was supposed to be great. He wasn't awesome. Um, so does Philly have the prospects that could carry them? That could carry them as a whole to be better than Bryce Harper. Well, do I think they're a World Series team? No. I, I mean, I think you're still looking. I don't think the Braves are either yet. Well, but and that's exactly it. So I guess the question becomes: What is the Phillies' goal here? 
Phillies. The, if the Phillies' goal is to win the division, they don't need these guys. If the Phillies' goal, which it should be, is to win the World Series, then yeah, they do need one of these superstars, I think, because you're not getting over the Yankees, you're not getting over Boston. I know I just kind of contradicted my first comments, but when you really sit back and think about it now that you, you just mentioned that, it's the goal really isn't to get over Atlanta. The goal is to win a World Series. Yeah. And you'll get over Atlanta by doing that, but you've got to also get over the Boston Red Sox. You've got to also get over the Yankees, the Houston Astros. You're not going to do that without a superstar, probably. That said, I don't know that a superstar is enough uh, because, you know, I mean, you look at the Blue Jays with Vladdy coming up, and I know that's a topic for later, but one person's not going to make them a World Series champion. So I think Philly's under the same gun. Like, I just don't, I don't see. I mean, the Phillies weren't 20 games under 500 last year. Well, I, and I get that too, but I don't know that one person puts them into the World Series and then puts them over the top. I just don't, I don't know. Mm. I mean, now, I ask you this. You keep talking about hopping Atlanta, but the rumor is that Harper might actually go back to Washington. So is Washington, does Washington then become the favorite to win the division with Patrick Corbin as an addition? Still, Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg, if he's healthy, a tremendous one-two punch. And you add the heart, then you add Harper. Do the Phillies then have to go after Machado, or do you still think that they can beat both the Nats and the Braves with neither of the two of the two superstars? Well, I don't think they. I mean, oof. I, I, the Nats have had Harper for many, many years, and haven't. Yeah, but they haven't had Patrick Corbin. Yeah, but I mean, come on, Dylan. Like that's not <laughs> that's not gonna put them over the top. If Patrick Corbin put them over the top, then the Jays should have got him last year and, and signed him for a ten year deal. Like, there's just no no way that that guy makes that kind of impact. And I, he doesn't make the, enough of a change to the Nationals to say, hey, yeah, sign Harper back, and we're there. I, I, I think he's good, and I think he helps the Nationals certainly. But I don't. But you, you know who they haven't had for ten years? Juan Soto. So yeah. you have Soto, Harper, Corbin's a good starter. You have Scherzer that's still dominant as all hell. So you got a pretty good thing going if you're the Nats. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's the Nationals. And, you know, call me when they keep a manager that wins over 500 because they're all over 500 and they fire them anyway. Like, it, it's just like Dusty Baker should still be managing that team. Uh, I would agree with that. And actually, we've discussed that in one of our past podcasts. If you go back and listen to one of our earlier podcasts, it might have actually been in August, one of our first two episodes, I went wild about the Nationals firing managers. <laughs> because I think it's ridiculous. I think that Dusty Baker should still be the manager, and Mike Rizzo's too quick to pull the trigger. He knows that he has a fan base that wants to get past the first round in the playoffs. But, I mean, you can't yank managers in and out. Like, I don't know what a good comparison would be because he's done it so much. It's insane. It's a, it, no professional sport. In no professional sport do you see coaches come and go that quickly. Not a single one. But yet Mike Rizzo still has the balls to pull him out after two years. You have two years, two years under your belt, win 90 games both years, you're done. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's, it's not the manager's fault they can't get past the first round of the playoffs. It's the player's fault. Get some better players. Get a better team. Then you'll move past the first round. If you think it's the manager's fault, this game is not like football or hockey where you have to call plays and where the coaches run plays. It's not Baseball is not a game where the coaches have primary control over the game. It's the players that do. Yeah, the coaches still manage, write the lineup cards in day in, day out, make the moves on the field with pitching changes and stuff like that. But you cannot 
consistently blame the manager for lack of postseason success. I understand that he has to guide the team through that, but the players also have to know what they're doing, also have to have postseason experience, and have to play well in the postseason, which they just haven't done. Yeah, I agree. And that is a player thing. That's not a manager thing. But I think that's the thing. I don't think you're going to re-sign Harper and get over the top. You had him for the last however many years. You're not getting over the top by re-signing him. So I, I don't know that it's – I mean, it looks like to me that there's a good chance they may do that. But I, it's, I don't think it puts them over the top. Do I think it puts Philly over the top? Probably not. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be something we have to – Sorry watch and see uh, as the season progresses next year. Um, Troy Tulewitzki, fan favorite around here. Here we go. <laughs> Recently signed with the New York Yankees, and he said, and the Yankees did promise him that he would play shortstop. Tulo, a couple days ago, said that he wants to play with the best players, clearly meaning Manny Machado. Since he signed there, or if, if Machado signs there, pardon me, Tulo can't play a shortstop because Machado's probably going to demand to play that position. So if, if you're Troy Tulowitzki, who is clearly just wanting to play on a big league field because most teams are smart enough not to give that to him, why do you sign in New York of all places? Were they the only team in on the guy? Because you know that they have Gregorius who's coming back next year, who's a tremendous shortstop, and they're in on Machado. What was he thinking? Signing with New York. Well, he was thinking, I still want to play. And, and, and I, I don't know that there was anybody else. I'm a little shocked it was the Yankees even at all. But, uh, I mean, you know what? If he can keep the bone spurs out of his heels, which he's never able to do anyway. Um, maybe. Have you injured both heels in the same season? and not? Oh, oh, I can't. You and your Tulo hate. Uh, I don't hate the guy. It's, it just baffles me how someone can be injured with such ridiculous injuries for so long. Yeah, and I get that. I mean, he is a, he is made of glass a little bit. But, you, you know, I mean, the Yankees need somebody there. And if he somehow turns out to be anything at all, then they get their value because he signed a major league minimum. If, it's, if he turns out to be anything at all, they get to stick it to the Jays who have to pay him to play for the Yankees. So it's basically a win-win for the Yankees no matter what happens. There's zero uh, risk. If, if Troy Chulowitzki destroys his Achilles or – Steps on a sprinkler, kills his heel, or sneezes and tears an oblique. Yeah, but what's the risk? If I'm the Yankees, if I'm Brian Cashman, what is the risk? There's no risk. The risk is not having a shortstop. Because Machado doesn't want to come to a place that he's not going to play shortstop. With Torchulowitzki there. No, 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 let me talk. Let me talk. With (laughs) Torchulowitzki there, Machado's not going to play shortstop. So that's your risk. You could lose Machado to the Phillies simply because you signed Tulowitzki and he wants to play shortstop. So then, if Tulowitzki gets hurt, you have no one to play at that position. You move Glaber Torres over to short. Over to short. Who's your second baseman? Yeah, I mean, I get that's the risk. Uh, well, yeah, but is there? There's no risk. It's still no risk because you're signing him for nothing. So if he doesn't work out, you go out and acquire somebody else. And, and you, you get the guy at pennies at the dollar, and you get to stick it to Ross Atkins if he hits even two home runs. It's great because Ross Atkins is in your division. Brian Cashman's laughing all the way to the bank on this one. There's zero risk whatsoever. For Tulo, there's huge <laughs> risk. For I feel, Tulo, like, I feel like you're doing this to make my chain. Just to, just to make me mad. I feel like that's why you're doing this. But, you know, 
<laughs> no, I'm saying, and you have to acknowledge that that the, the risk is really on all on Tulo's side. There's no risk for the team. I mean, the risk for the team is not having a shortstop. Yeah, but they're gonna. You can get a bottom of the barrel shortstop that'll play better than somebody who's on the bench injured. So really, there's still no risk. I could go out a and lot get of a, short a mark. What's that? A lot of shortstops better than Tulo. Well, up to Reyes is more potent offensively in 2018. That are are not signed that you could easily sign if Tulo blows a tire again and he wins. yeah, but if he doesn't and he hits two home runs in the season, he's better than he was last year, and that sticks it to Ross Atkins because you you know who else is better than Tulo last year to play for the Yankees. You know who else is better than Tulo last year? Ronald Torres. It's not hard to do. You know who else was better than Tulo last year? The cockroach in the dugout because he was playing more baseball. <laughs> Wait, he wasn't the cockroach in the dugout. Who knows? If he was on the field, he was more than Tulo was. A little cancerous membrane in the clubhouse. Um, moving on. All around the internet lately, we've seen stat lines for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. that are absolutely insane. I saw one the other day that was 40 bombs in his first year. But I ask you this. The number one prospect in baseball is, in, is expected to have an insane first season, which I agree with. He's going to do some insane stuff in his first big league season. But my question is, will all that be possible? Because I'm not personally even sure that he'll play the full season. We believe here at 211 Sports, we have reason to believe that Vlad will come up in late April or even early May when they can get an extra year off his deal. So will he actually be able to put up 30 bombs, 100 RBIs from May to September? Or is that a little bit of a stretch? Uh I don't know. He's unique. He's very unique. I mean, he's a tremendous talent. Yeah, a tremendous talent, and I get that. But I mean, it's 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 he's still a prospect, and I know he's the top prospect, and I know he's going to perform at some level, and he will be in the major leagues for many many years. What level, though, we just don't know. And to sit there and make a prediction about that is is a little difficult. I mean, I know there's a lot of people doing it. But and certainly he could very well come up and hit 40, 40 dingers and hundred RBIs between May and September, and then and everybody will gripe that why wasn't he here since April? He could have hit fifty and one hundred and twenty, and that's just the way the Jays fans work. But the reality is, there's a chance he comes up and hits twenty and eighty. And are you disappointed in that anyway? I mean, that's no, not at all, good, right? So, like. Do we really need to even have this discussion, I guess, is my question. I mean, you can make predictions for Vladdy all you want, but you're still going to take 20 home runs and 80 RBIs. And if he happens to hit 40 and 110, fantastic. You got even better. But, I mean, really, what's the point of making these predictions? The team is not going to the playoffs this year. And so, no. you know. Simple as that. But it'll be fun to watch. And it'll be fun to watch his development. And hopefully more of the kids come up and, and they all develop together. Um, but I, I just don't know what I would never make a solid prediction on a prospect because you just don't know. So since you squashed that topic pretty quickly, uh, got to fill some time up. Um, do you think Boba Shad comes up next year? Yeah, I do. I think so. I mean, he certainly, if he continues to perform, I'm not really sure why he didn't get the triple a promotion last year, to be honest. Um, but 
you know, I, think, I think New Hampshire still needed someone to carry them to a championship. <laughs> true, and I think that that he gets placed there after spring training in, in Buffalo. I don't think he goes back to New Hampshire. But, no. um, but and and with that said, I don't think he's long for Buffalo either. I think you you could see him come up very close to when Vladdy comes up. It's going to all depend on Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and his initial mm-hmm. performance out of the gate. I think that's going to completely change how Bobachet is planned for because if Guriel is performing, uh, you don't you won't see Bichette till later in the season. If he's not, you may see him as early as May. Do you do you move Bobachet to second base? He's shorter than Guriel, and Guriel's shown you the cannon of an arm that he has. I don't know if we've had this discussion, discussion before, but is Bichette your second baseman, or do you move Guriel over there? Well, he's not my second baseman yet because he hasn't played there, but um, he's played know. there a little bit. A little bit, but not enough for my liking. If I'm a GM, I, I need to see him play, play a couple months there before he's ready to come up and do so it. So do you me. tell him to play second base in Buffalo? Do you tell Bobby Meacham to play him at second base? Well, I'll tell you, if, if Guriel is performing beyond April, because we all know that April stats are garbage, if he's performing yeah. into May, uh, yeah, I move him to second for sure. I do in AAA. And then I, and then I, would, I, would, I would try to bring him up later in the season at second base. And and I think that that's probably what what may happen now. If Guriel doesn't perform very early out of the gate, I think he stays at short, and you see him come up in May at shortstop. But you know, we'll we'll see. I mean, uh, moving Aledmus Diaz was a big sign that there's there's there was a, a a log jam in the infield, and B oh, I could have told you that there was well, and but I mean beyond that, there's there's the fact that there are prospects coming, and and Guriel is one of them, but but. Bichette, Bo Bichette, and I think that that's you know a great problem to have. Yeah, I mean I don't know that it's so great because you're wasting talent if you if if you have to get rid of them because obviously they're going to keep the best talents and get rid of the worst ones, which are probably still really good talents. So you lose a lot of talent if you have a logjam. But you know it is great to have depth. Um, arguably the two best pitchers coming into the market, coming into the free agency this year, are still left on the market in Dallas Keuchel and Craig Kimbrell. So where are these two headed? We had previously predicted that Keuchel would return to the Astros, which is becoming more and more likely, and Kimbrell would head to Atlanta. However, no major rumors have been swirling about these two. Do you have any thoughts on where they could be headed? Mm, no. Um... <laughs> No, I don't. And it sounds terrible to not have any thoughts on that. But, but the reality is this market is developing very, very slowly for a lot of players. And uh, not like last year. Like, I think last year was, was terrible. I mean, nobody signed till spring training, basically. Yeah. But, um, so this year, it's, it's moving a little better than that. But until these big guys like Harper and Machado sign, you're not going to see the Keikos. And, and I know they're not even position players, so you'd think, why does that even matter? But I think it's setting the prices, and I think it's setting the, the terms, uh, and, and then you'll see them start to, to move into teams. I don't think it'll go deep into spring training like it did last year. But, I mean, you've seen late relievers go off the market already, like Zach Britton signed a three-year $39 million deal with the Yankees, which I was going to get into earlier, but might as well bring it up now, and David Robertson signed with the Phillies. So why hasn't a guy like Craig Kimbrell signed yet? Well, because Kimbrell initially out of the gate wanted 40 years and $7,000 million to <laughs> a year to do it. I mean, I don't know what he was thinking. And, and, and so, you know, I, I, that's the initial reason. And then now if I'm a team, I'm going, <laughs> you can wait, buddy, because I know nobody's signing you or even anywhere near that. 
So now I can wait. Like he ruined his own market because now if I'm yeah. a team, I can wait on him because I know he's asking for the moon and nobody's going to pay it. So mm-hmm. you just wait. And then some, at some point he's going to come down from that ask. Right. So yeah. Keiko or sorry. He'll Kimbrel, move. Yeah. Kimbrel is in my mind, the best reliever that was on the market coming into this, coming into this off season. So that's why it kind of surprises me that, he hasn't been signed, but you bring up a really good point that he's asking for uh, a boatload of money that the teams are going to have to sell their kidneys to make. I don't even think it's so, the money, Dylan. I think it's the term. I mean, he's a reliever. He's asking for a term that's out of this world, outlandish. For but you've league. seen how he can perform, and he's still yeah, relatively even, young. Yeah, but it's not like he's a young buck. No, he's, it's he's true. Really not. And, and relievers, as he gets to his age now, and, and relievers, as, as they get to his age – you start to look at them on a year-by-year year basis. And the reason you do is because one year they're great, the next year they're not, and then the next year they're great again. And, and or maybe not. Maybe it's even two years. Well, you don't want them to be another Brett Cecil. But that's a, that's a prime example, perfect example. Yeah. Because Brett Cecil outperforms any expectations for him for two straight years with the Blue Jays, signs with St. Louis, and might as well be the ball boy. So, you know, it's, it's, but it's true. And, and that's, that's relievers. So if I'm somebody looking at Kimbrel, I'm laughing in his face because I don't want anything to do with the term he's asking for. And yeah. the money, yes, I get it. It's a lot too. But the term to me is a huge problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he's going to have to change what he's willing to accept. Otherwise, the guy's not going to get signed. It's as simple as that. Um, he's Money Grandal signed a one year deal worth $18 million with the Milwaukee Brewers. Grandal's Dodgers eliminated the Brewers in the NLCS last year, and he has now signed with them. Or with, with, yeah, with the Brewers. Grandal showed a disgusting defensive display in that series and prior to that series. So was this a bad deal for the Brewers, or, or do you think that as a member of the Brewers front office, are you confident that he'll bounce back and be Yasmani Grandal like we've seen in the past? Well, first of all, I'm honored that you think I'm a member of the Brewers front office. I don't. No, because you have any qualifications to be. <laughs> hey, I have I have opinions though. Don't don't opinions make me automatically baseball knowledgey? I don't know. Yes, I said the word knowledgey, um, which qualifies you to not be baseball knowledgey. <laughs> that's why I'm not in the front office right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Grandal's a Brewer. There we go. Good for them. I'm proud of them. They did well. Thanks for answering my question. Well, um, what do you think? I think this I mean, is... To be honest, it's not something that moves the needle for them if I, if I really look no, at it's not. It's not something that I think is going to put them over the top. They haven't had a great catcher since Jonathan Lucroy. Um, but, I mean, Grandal, if he plays defensively the way he did in that NLCS, I think that we're really screwed. Absolutely screwed. Because then they have a bad defensive catcher who's maybe going to give you a good offensive numbers. Grandal's been on and off with his offensive numbers. I mean, he's been great a couple of years and then bad one year. He only has one bad year, but he's only on a one-year deal, so you don't want that one year to be this year if you're the Brewers. Um, but I do believe that Grandal is a viable option behind the dish and at the plate for a catcher. So I think it's actually a good signing. As much as I don't like the way he played defensively in the NLCS last year, I do believe this is going to be a great signing for the Brewers. Touche. Wrapping up the show, our latest off-season news, Brian Dozier signed a one-year $9 million deal with the Washington Nationals. 
Again, Nationals building themselves up to be a contender. I'm telling you, don't sleep on them. I still got the Braves winning that division. And we'll actually have a prediction show coming up for you soon. Um, I still have the Braves winning that division, though. Uh, but you have thoughts on Dozier signing, or should we just move on? Did he sign? He did sign, yeah. Jet uh, Lowry signed a two-year, $20 million deal <laughs> with the Mets, who acquired Robinson Cano. So does Lowry play a little bit of shortstop here and there? They do have a Med Rosario there, so it might be tough. What do you do with Jed Lowry? Do you move Cano to first base? You could. I mean... Or is Lowry just that extra infielder that's going to bounce around everywhere? Well, I think he's more a utility guy now. I, I don't... I mean... That's a tough one, actually, Dylan. That, that is a tough one because uh, I don't know. I mean, I think he's more a utility guy now. I think that's how they... But the Mets have it, but... that one guy. I think his name's Peter Alonzo in their system who, uh, I don't know if you saw, but he's the guy that hit that dinger off of Nate Pearson in the Fall Stars game. Oh. He's a first baseman, and he's coming up. So he might even be in the big leagues next year. So what do you do? I mean, well, I mean, Lowry's signed for one year, right? Two years, 20 two million. Years. Well, even two years. I mean, the thing is, with two years, he's tradable. He's a tradable asset at the deadline. True. If you need to. And and why not stockpile the depth, right? I mean, yeah, I, it, it's a good move. It's a good move. There's no question. It's just whether they how they position their infield is going to be up to to them. I, guess. I I'm not disagreeing with you. I do think this is a very good move. Lowry's still a viable option as old as he is, but um, like you said, it's just going to be who plays where and how often do they play. Uh, Zach Britton, as we mentioned earlier, signed a three-year, $39 million deal with the Yankees. He returns to New York after being traded there from Baltimore mid-season. John Jay signed a one-year, $4 million deal with the White Sox. Who needs Machado when you can have John Jay? Interesting development, actually. In searching for Jay's contract with the White Sox earlier, I found out that Jay actually works out with Manny Machado and his brother-in-law, Yonder Alonso. Could the White Sox maybe have added him specifically to maybe attract Machado a little bit more, who seems to have his final two teams narrowed down to the Phillies and White Sox, by the way? It's an interesting strategy. Because uh... they acquired Yonder Alonso, who's Machado's brother-in-law, and now John Jay, who he works out with every offseason. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's certainly a possibility. It's a dumb move, but it's a per- <laughs> <laughs> Why would you spend all that money and then not end up getting Machado? Because, I mean, who wants to be a White Sox? But, you know, I mean, maybe it works and it could. I, you know, I mean, I don't know. It's, I know that's not really providing much of an opinion on it other than I just think it's silly. But it's, uh, it's certainly a strategy. I'll give him that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, Jay, yeah, he'll give you good defensive numbers. Actually, his on-base percentage would have led the White Sox last year and he played for them. He had a three thirty on-base percentage, um, which would have led the White Sox. And I might, and Machado might carry that on-base percentage thing with all the walks he's going to get. But I'm not sure. I don't know if that's going to lead to a Machado signing. John Jay is, is just another player to me. Calvin Herrera also signed with the White Sox. See, you're saying who wants to be a White Sox? I mean, that's the White Sox. <laughs> All the Calvin Herreras of the world want to be You're right. <laughs> Calvin Herrera threw 103 years ago. So, 
Who are you to judge? Kelvin Herrera signed a two-year, $18 million deal with the White Sox. Um, no relation to Machado there before people start asking, oh, did, was this move also to get Machado? No, uh, just to provide reliever depth. Obviously, Herrera is a good reliever. Through 103 years ago, doesn't do that anymore. Velocity's dipped by 3.7%, as I saw today. Do you have thoughts on them signing Calvin Herrera? or They did it. There you go. And and wow. you know I, I mean, and I'm not trying to be a I'm not trying to be a dink. I, I, I just I don't think any of these moves. These are just depth moves, and and you know they're probably not worthy of much discussion other than um, you know there is potential to see that the White Sox may be trying to make a move on Cleveland in this in this division with some of these signings, and certainly if they get a Machado, they've definitely made that kind of move. Um, uh-huh. So they've made themselves slightly more interesting. I'm not sure Herrera makes them much more interesting, but it is he's depth. He's a potent and, reliever. Well, he's a yeah, and it is depth. And it, and listen, relievers are fickle. I you can call anybody a fickle? potent reliever, and I won't believe you till they're a potent reliever again because it, they're not. They're just like that relievers. I just I mean, you look at a Steve Delabar, all star one year and gone the next. I mean, you know, hey, he runs his own gym now. He's a well, big he's shot in the small guy. county. I'm not of saying that he's not. I'm just saying Alabama. He, he just didn't work out the second year, and then has sort of faded into uh, into creating his own his own gym and things like that. A great great second career, but you know those are the types of things that can happen to a reliever. So to say he's a solid reliever, yeah, I get it. By history, he's a solid reliever, no question. But it to me, it's a depth move until they prove to continue to be that kind of reliever. Okay, well, uh, no that wraps up. Sorry. <laughs> what? I said, but I have no opinion on it. <laughs> that wraps up episode 11 of 211's Baseball Talk. Uh, we will let you in on this. We are trying to line up a very special guest for next week's episode. You'll find out who it is uh, and if we actually were able to accomplish it next Wednesday. Um, this has been episode 11 of 211's Baseball Talk. Go follow us on Twitter at 211 Sports. Go check out our website, which has not been updated for, for a while. Don't check our website. <laughs> My name is Dylan Baker. For Chris Baker, this has been episode 11 of 211's Baseball Talk. Good night, everyone.